0: It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com.
1: Hello and welcome to the first Dennett's Deep Dive, where each month I'll release a cricket history podcast on a topic that fascinates me and hopefully you too. The full shows will be exclusively available for our elite-level Patreon subscribers. Here's Episode 1, Test Cricket on Television in Australia, Before the Packer Revolution. The ashes of 1938 were on. Across Australia, people stayed up through the night, listening on their radios. Bradman was in his prime, scoring a century in every test in which he batted in 1938. An interest was so huge, electricity companies saw usage spikes every test match night. It was the era of the synthetic radio broadcasts. As with 1930 and 1934, radio technology wasn't yet advanced enough to broadcast the signal all the way from England to Australia. Instead, a cricket expert watched live at the ground in England and sent a cable after every over. The electric signal flashed across from the other side of the planet along the undersea and overland cables to a studio in Sydney. There, it was interpreted and expanded before being handed to the commentary panel of Alan McGilvray, M.A. Noble, Victor Richardson and Hal Hooker, who would call the action as if it were live, complete with crowd noise, sound effects on a record and the tap of a pencil on wood to simulate bat hitting ball. They made no secret of the fact that the broadcast was artificial, but nevertheless, many listeners thought it was real. I want to imagine that we could see into that Sydney commentary studio at a specific moment in time. It's in the middle of a test match, But the scene is not what you'd expect. The commentators are asleep, in their chairs, or even under the table. What's going on? Well, suddenly the shortwave signal live from the ground in England had come through with enough clarity to be put to air. And so it was. No longer synthetic, but the real thing. Cricket coming through live from the other side of the world, the plummy tones of the BBC announcer fading in and out. It didn't last long. The signal weakened, the commentators were roused and began calling the game off the cables once more. But it was clear that time was on the march, technology was improving and by the time of the next Ashes, 1948, Alan McGilvray was over in England as an Australian representative on the BBC coverage as the Ashes were called live into Australia. Back in 1938, another technological innovation was occurring, one that seems well ahead of its time. Segments of the Ashes from London were televised live on the BBC to the scattered few people in London who owned TVs. It's thus a quirk of history that English viewers could watch more of the Ashes live on free television in 1938 than they could in 2019 when the whole series was behind a paywall. Now, as far as radio broadcasting was concerned, Australia had been miles ahead of England. In the words of Jim Maxwell... Well, the most extraordinary thing about... Um, the history of broadcasting, is that really Australia, as in many things that have happened in the world of cricket, were the pioneers. I mean, if you think back to the first ball-by-ball commentary in 1924-25 in Adelaide, it was only broadcast in Adelaide. They couldn't get beyond it at that point. And the bloke called Bill Smollican did seven days of the timeless test all on his own. Um, <laughs> and, and, and that was so many years ahead of what happened in England. I mean, England did not do continuous ball-by-ball commentary of test cricket until 1957. And the rest of the time, it was part of the light programs and they'd go in, in 48, for instance, when Gilfrey, uh, was over there doing the commentary and Australia took the whole lot. But on the BBC, they only went over for an hour here and an hour there. But as far as television was concerned... England had beaten Australia to the punch. Australia eventually caught up, and by 1977, the rights to show cricket in this country had become so sought after they were the subject of the World Series cricket dispute, which changed world cricket forever. And 1977 is usually when histories of cricket on television in Australia start. But today, I'm going to tell you about what came before. The story of Test Cricket on Australian television, before Kerry Packer. The story begins slowly. In fact, over 20 years were to pass from that first English television broadcast in 1938 before Australia televised test cricket. The main reason for this, of course, was that television itself didn't arrive in Australia until 1956, just in time for the Melbourne Olympic Games in November. So when the summer of 1956-57 rolled round, were the test matches televised? Well, no doubt they would have been. Some Sheffield Shield games that summer were. But there weren't any Test matches that season, just as there hadn't been in the previous summer and wouldn't be in the next. This wasn't all that unusual. Apart from the Ashes, which were locked in every four years, Australian administrators weren't too bothered how often other teams came. It was bizarre and incompetent. But finally, in 1958-59, Test cricket returned to Australia. The Ashes were on again. The wait for televised Test cricket was over. Well, almost. The first test was at the Gabba, and Brisbane was yet to get television. At that point, only Sydney and Melbourne had it. Television signals go in a straight line, but the earth is, of course, curved. After about 80 kilometres, the television signal heads off into space and is lost. So had the game been broadcast, it would have been to an audience of nobody. Nevertheless, in a sign of the public appetite for cricket, technically the game was televised to the one location capable of receiving the signal, the ABC Studio in Brisbane. Why did they bother? Well, to convert it to film, cut it into about 15 minutes of highlights and rush it to the airport to be flown south for televising later that night or the next night in Sydney and Melbourne. So test cricket had now been shown on TV, albeit not live. That came next. The second test was in Melbourne, beginning on New Year's Eve 1958. Play began and… nothing. Cricket Australia, worried at the effect television might have on ticket sales, refused to allow any of the first two sessions to be broadcast. This misguided policy of a two-thirds blackout into the city of origin was to last into the 21st century. But finally, with play set to begin after tea, more than 20 years after England, Australian television showed live test cricket. The television guide from that final day of 1958 is a thing of beauty. There are only three television stations, 9, 7 and ABC... And all three showed the cricket live simultaneously, as if to make up for lost time. If you were watching television that afternoon in Melbourne, by definition, you were watching the cricket. The involvement of the other networks, incidentally, may come as a surprise, because we regularly hear that before World Series cricket, the sport was only televised on ABC. And while ABC definitely did show the majority of cricket in the pre-packer years, Channel 7 and 9 broadcast more than you might have expected. In any case, with a large number of people watching across all networks, plus those at the ground, it was probably the biggest audience Australian cricket had ever seen. Sadly, the cricket itself was of the worst possible type. These days, they'd call it a brand destroyer. In the final 100 minutes of play, England's Colin Cowdery and Peter May scored just 43 runs. Riding in the age, Percy Beams said the batsmen were slow hand-clapped and barracked for their slowness from the tea interval onwards. Thankfully, the match got a bit better thereafter, and over the ensuing days, Melbourne viewers saw some of a Neil Harvey century and an England second innings collapse as Australia won by eight wickets. But it was only Melbourne viewers, as the signal wasn't strong enough to reach Sydney. The third test was in Sydney, and the final sessions were televised live into Sydney, also on all three stations at once. And you would assume that would have been all but the television network sprang a surprise. During the winter, a secret joint project dubbed Operation Kangaroo had been undertaken by Channel 7 Sydney in partnership with Channel 9 Melbourne. Imagine that happening these days. Their ambitious goal was to beam a live signal from Sydney to Melbourne to enable this third SCG test to be shown live into Melbourne. Satellites were almost a decade away. The plan was to use a series of microwave transmitters. These would be strategically situated just before the signal was about to be lost, so a transmitter would catch the signal and then beam it on afresh. The higher the elevation of the transmitters, the better, and so engineers and technicians secretly worked to install equipment in remote, freezing and dangerous locations. This almost proved fatal as an installation crew got caught in a winter blizzard in the snowy mountains and only just survived. It was a borderline crazy plan, and possibly a world record at the time for the longest network of its kind. By the third test, the cumbersome and fragile network was in place. It went Sydney to near Goulburn, to Mount Janini, to Cabramurra high up in the Snowy, to the Horn on Mount Buffalo in Victoria, to the Highlands north of Ye, and finally to Mount Dandenong on Melbourne's outskirts. The Melbourne newspapers had revealed the glorious secret project, with the front page of the Age headline being, GTV9 Plans Live Telecast of Third Test. The article began, A technical achievement unparalleled in Australian history will be attempted today when it is hoped to make a direct live telecast of the third Test match from Sydney to Melbourne. Melbourne cricket fans eagerly tuned in to Channel 9 after tea to see the magic unfold. But the connection didn't work. A truck supporting one of the transmitters in the Snowy had got bogged and the transmitter chain had been broken. Undeterred, they tried again that night. On his famous Channel 9 in Melbourne Tonight show, Graham Kennedy said come in Sydney, and instantly Melbourne viewers were watching Channel 7's In Sydney Tonight show live. And so next day, they tried again in the cricket, and it worked. Melburnians sweltering on a 40-degree day, were greeted with the sight of the covers on in Sydney. Nothing much has changed, some of you might say. But soon the rain stopped and play began, the first ever intercity live broadcast of cricket in Australia. So, finally, in 1959, Test Cricket on TV in Australia had arrived, well if you lived in the right place it had. For most of the country, the era of televised cricket was still in the future, and even if you lived in Melbourne, you got less than 30 hours of live televised cricket out of a five-test-match series. Predictably enough, the following summer, 1959-60, saw no test cricket at all. The summer after that, though, 1960-61, ended up a triumph for cricket and for television. When the summer began, expectations had been low. Indeed, so boring had recent cricket been that Australia's chairman of selectors, Don Bradman, told the Australian team that the selectors would be more inclined to pick those who played exciting cricket. Australian captain Richie Benno was on board with this message, and in the West Indies, led by Frank Worrell, they had the perfect opponent for attractive cricket. It proved to be one of the greatest series in history. The first test in Brisbane was the first tie in test history, and every test had Australian fans enthralled. At the height of the tour, so in demand were the West Indies players that several stars, including Gary Sobers and Wes Hall, appeared on primetime Melbourne television singing a calypso about Australian taxi drivers. Sadly, no footage of this exists. After Australia won a pulsating series 2-1, the West Indies were given a ticker tape parade send-off in Melbourne. In the words of Wisden, commerce stood almost still as the smiling cricketers from the West Indies, the vanquished, not the victors, were given a send-off, the like of which is normally reserved for royalty and national heroes. From a television broadcasting point of view, the summer saw some exciting firsts. Brisbane and Adelaide now had television, and so the final session of each of their tests was broadcast live into the local area. But the biggest TV development was what happened in the fifth and final test at the MCG. With the series locked at one all, ABC fired up the line-of-sight microwave transmitter network and broadcast the entire match, live and in full, into Sydney. Not just the last sessions, but every single ball for the first time ever. And what a match to do it for. On day two, the crowd was 90,800, a world record for cricket that was to last for over half a century. In the end, Australia won a thrilling match by two wickets. The aftermatch match presentation makes the spine-tingling viewing. Sir Donald Bradman, Sir Frank Worrell and Richie Benno address the huge crowd who sing For He's a Jolly Good Fellow to Worrell. I'll put a link to this footage in the show notes. But yet again, Cricket Australia didn't capitalise on the sport's resurgence the next summer because, depressingly, 1961-62 saw no international cricket in Australia. But a technological project was underway that was to revolutionise Australian television. In the winter of 1962, a major piece of infrastructure was completed. A coaxial cable had been laid at great expense and effort between Sydney and Melbourne via Canberra. Among other things, this cable could be used for live television broadcasts between Australia's two biggest cities. The need to create temporary, cumbersome line-of-sight microwave hookups was over. It was quite a development. Nearly half of the country's population was now connected by live television. News anchors could breathlessly announce that a report was coming in live via coaxial cable... Political reports from Canberra were televised live, and Graham Kennedy and Don Lane even did a split-screen Melbourne-Sydney musical duo, with Kennedy memorably holding up a "Go Home Yank sign for the benefit of the American Don Lane. And I'd like to be able to say that from this point on, every ball of test cricket in Melbourne was shown live into Sydney and vice versa, but I can't. Throughout the rest of the decade, 15 test matches were held across Sydney and Melbourne, and only five were shown live in full to the other city via the cable. Often, the coverage was appalling. In 1964-65, in the only test match played of the summer against Pakistan at the MCG, not a single ball was televised at all. Another low point was 1968-69. Incredibly, after the glorious series of 60-61, it wasn't until eight years later that the West Indies were invited back. And in that summer, the flagship MCG test, played on Boxing Day, which was unusual at the time, clashed with Australia playing the Americans in the Davis Cup. Channels 9, 7 and the ABC showed the tennis live at the expense of the first three days of the Test match. It was a far cry from the triumphant complete coverage from eight years before. Why had cricket become so unfancied? Well, for a start, it was boring. In general, the 1960s was a decade of dure, pragmatic play. The final test of the ashes of 1962-3 typifies this. Australian journalist Tom Goodman wrote... This deadly, dull and absolutely frustrating match left keen cricket followers soured and depressed, a thoroughly bad match unworthy of the occasion. This test was a setback to cricket in Australia. Its lack of sparkle and of the element of combat caused a general revulsion of feeling among cricket followers throughout the country. I suppose that the reluctance to provide greater coverage was to a degree understandable, given the limited potential size of the audience. Sydney and Melbourne were the only cities linked by cable, and because Cricket Australia still refused to allow the first two sessions to be shown live into the home city, it was presumably considered only rarely worth the expense and effort of arranging cameras and commentary for the first two sessions to be broadcast live into just one city. It also showed a lack of understanding by Cricket Australia and the networks of the huge amount of money that there was to be made with cricket on television. It would take until the late 1970s and Kerry Packer for this to change. Although 1968-69 saw a low point with the Boxing Day test being bumped in favour of the tennis, it also marked the dawn of a new era. Everything was about to change. The first test of 1968-69 was in Brisbane, and, as always had been the case, the television coverage was only able to reach Brisbane and its immediate surrounds. But this was to be the last test in Australian history to be shown into the city of origin only. This caught me by surprise. I had expected the fourth test in Adelaide to follow the same pattern. Imagine my excitement as I idly looked at the Melbourne Age television guide for the first day of the Adelaide test to see if any highlights had been flown to Melbourne for televising. All of a sudden, I saw something that made me forget all about highlights. Without any fanfare, in small print in the middle of the guide, it said at 4.28pm for ABC, Test cricket. Direct telecast. There was no coaxial cable connecting Adelaide and Melbourne, No, there's only one explanation. This broadcast was by satellite. Things were moving rapidly. As recently as just 19 months earlier, there had never been a satellite television broadcast in the world, only some test broadcasts. But in June 1967, the BBC had led a 14-country simultaneous satellite broadcast, with the signal beamed up to a satellite, bounced across to other satellites, and then shot back down to Earth to its destination city. Now Cricket was joining in. The final sessions of days two and three of the Adelaide Test were also broadcast live into Melbourne. Day four was shown live into Sydney and day five went back to Melbourne. A somewhat tentative start to satellite coverage of cricket, but it was about to explode. The summers of poorly televised cricket were all but over. Pleasingly, the summers of no test cricket in Australia were also ending, with next summer, 1969-70, being the last one that the Australian men's team wasn't in action at home. 1970-71 rolled round and by now satellite broadcasting had become properly established. ABC decided to show the cricket live and pretty much in full to Australia's big cities. And for the first time, television took over from radio as cricket's main medium. Prior to that landmark year, in large sections of the continent, not a single ball of test cricket had ever been televised live. Even in Sydney, Melbourne and Canberra, less than a quarter of all balls bowled in the 1960s were shown live. In Brisbane and Adelaide, it was closer to 7%. In Perth, and pretty much everywhere else, zero. So the first test of the summer of 1970-71 at the Gabba was the first test ever to be broadcast into Perth. And the second test of that summer was in Perth itself, its debut test match. This brought a new dimension to the coverage. The time zone difference meant that the final sessions of each day of that test were beamed into the large population centres on the East Coast in evening primetime. And enormous viewing audiences saw Greg Chappell score a debut 100. As the 22-year-old hesitantly edged through the 90s, viewers were robbed of witnessing his century when ABC cut to the evening news. The flood of complaints must have made them realise they were onto a hit. From this point on, virtually every ball of test cricket would be shown live on TV into the big cities. The major exception was that the blackout into the city of origin for all but the final session remained. This was to last a very long time. In 1996-97, finally Cricket Australia consented to allow live coverage if it was a sellout. And then from 2006-07 onwards, all local matches were shown live in Sydney and Melbourne, regardless of ticket sales. And in 2013-14, this spread to the whole country. The last big cricketing first that took place in 1970-71 occurred almost by accident. With the first three days of the third test at the MCG being rained off, Cricket Australia faced a major financial loss. Their chairman, Don Bradman, and others arranged for a limited overs game to be played on what would have been day five. It was the first ever one-day international. A much bigger-than-expected crowd of 46,000 turned up, and ABC broadcast the game live and in full on television. Australia won, and even though the scoring rates were slow by modern standards, the cricket was much more exciting than most test matches of the era. Cricket was on to a winner, but it took the administrators a long time to realise it. The next ODI in Australia was not held until four years later, and by the time World Series cricket began in the summer of 1977-78, Australia had staged a total of just three. But as far as the broadcasting of test matches is concerned, we are on the cusp of the modern era and near the end of this story. A cricket lover from 2021 transplanted back to the early 1970s would at least find that they could watch almost all the test cricket in Australia live, whereas back in the 60s, this had not been the case. And although some summers only saw three test matches, the era of summers without any international cricket was finally gone for good. The two biggest differences our time traveller might notice were the lack of sophistication in the coverage, most notably the lack of cameras, and the fact that it was in black and white. This last point finally was rectified for the ashes of 1974-75, although only a few people got to experience it. Australia's long overdue switch to colour television didn't occur until the 1st of March 1975, after the ashes had finished. But in the months leading up to the changeover day, networks were allowed to test the technology on a limited basis. And so, a historic moment arrived at 4.49pm Sydney time on day one of the first test at the Gabba on the 29th of November 1974. ABC, returning to the cricket after the tea break, did so in colour for the first time ever. In fact, the majority of the summer's coverage was in colour to the small but rapidly growing number of Australians with colour televisions. Channel 7, which broadcasts several test matches, also did so primarily in colour. And as for the sophistication of the broadcast, well, that all changed with World Series cricket, which began three years later. Carrie Packer had realised the enormous amount of money that could be made by broadcasting cricket in Australia, and, well, no doubt you've heard that story. And fair enough, too, it's a significant one. But the story of the earlier days of cricket on Australian television is much less well-known. I trust that after just having heard it, you agree with me that it was also one worth telling. I hope you enjoyed my first Dennett's Deep Dive. Thanks for subscribing to Cricket Unfiltered on Patreon, and I'll be back next month with another Dennett's Deep Dive.